welcome to Tunnel Vision, episode 37. I'm your host, Heather Gold, with your host, Kevin Marks, and soon to join us, Deb Schultz. And we um, are going to talk this week with the wonderful Shlomo Rabinowitz. Welcome, Shlomo. Hi. How's it going? I like how you always say I'm wonderful. That's what I like about you. You are one. You are. I always tell the truth. We are going to talk this week about a bunch of things. We're going to start trying to make the show a little bit tighter. So we're going to go for a 70-minute show. And we're going to first spend about 15 minutes on what's happened this week before we get into some of our, the bigger stuff we want to talk about. Um, Shlomo's an organizer of Burning Man Camp. And we're going to talk about the tumbling he does in doing that and how we think we could apply that to other worlds, whether they're business or civic life or politics. So this week, I'd say the big tumble news. We had a couple things come up. Um, we can start real quickly with Facebook groups and this new Facebook announcement of being able to export all of your content. Kevin, what do you think? It seems like seems like progress for Facebook. Um, the, the exporting your content stuff, yes, I think that's very good. Proof of that. Um, I haven't had it, actually seen it in action. The, the groups is a bit more problematic. It's interesting, but it ha- has a bunch of sort of obvious problems with it. Their, their intention, though, they in their announcement, you know, uh, Zuckerberg said, was understanding people have different social contexts. So he's at least paying a blog service to that. Well, they, they, they'd clearly seen that, um, present, that Google presentation that we've um, talked about before. Right. Um, you know, literally, the, the, the graphic designer from Facebook tweeted out that here's this thing from Google and this is what I've been doing for the last two months. So, right. Um, and that actually explained the problem far more clearly than, than Zuckerberg did yesterday with his slides. Um, the problem being that each of us is a member of many overlapping groups and has different contexts. Um, and we don't, and it's been too hard to actually reconstruct those contexts online. Um, and so, they shouldn't all have to be public, and we shouldn't have to spill one into the other all the time. Exactly. Which Facebook does constantly, and every time they roll out new stuff, because their main goal is to make you link more and more things between more and more people in the Facebook universe, they usually force you to overlap stuff into places you don't want it to be. That's, that's usually been the, the problem geeks have with Facebook. Is this going to solve it, Shlomo, do you think? No. <laughs> i got to say this group thing is really annoying, actually, because I get, keep being pushed into groups. I mean, I don't mind, like, okay, uh, Kevin made a group, but at least he was nice enough to make it a closed group of tumblers. So there's a reason. But then there's these other people that just keep throwing me into these groups. And next thing you know, my emails are full of these things I don't even understand what they're talking about. Because, because they default. And they've defaulted it to email yeah. with you with each update. You can turn that off, but the default is is to email. But you got to def- you got to wait. I thought I could only do it for each group, so I can't do it for all groups. Like one button, one big button. It's for that each would be group. well. If they'd done that, that would have meant designing based on what you, someone who uses Facebook, would want. And I don't think we've ever seen Facebook do that once, have we? Well, the idea of them making that downloader so I could get all my stuff back is, right. I think, the first time they've ever did anything for me. It is. Me, it? It, it's like, wow, this is nice. How weird that a huge company would do something for me. I know. Um, it's your purpose for present. It really is. But, but <laughs> we don't have the downloader yet. At least I haven't found it. So <laughs> they mentioned and, the downloader. No, I and I don't think you 
And you can't download your list of friends, which is the main thing with no, other contact yeah. info to them. You can only download things you've uploaded yourself, which means you can't down, um, download anything your friends have uploaded or tagged you in, and you can't download um, address book and contact info. And you can't search on your own stuff on the site and say, where was that great conversation I had with everyone about miscarriage, for example? I had one of those that I wanted to write a blog or a blog post about, reference it. The only way to find it is to go keep hitting load old posts for an hour. It's ridiculous. Well, I, think I think I'm going to download all my stuff and start again. I'm going to download it, get rid of everything, and start again. Really? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Because? Uh, I think, one, if I'm downloading this time capsule, I mean, there's some things that I did that was very uh, Facebook-specific, like recording videos in browser with my ex-girlfriend. Like, we would do these naked Fridays and out of bed and make these posts to people, our friends on Facebook. And I just feel that I want to just kind of have that and collect them and put it on my own site if I want and just kind of have them out of Facebook. Things right. like that. I just don't feel a need to to have that. And, you know, I figure if I erase all these random comments on people's uh, situations, I don't find myself getting into any real meaningful conversation anyway on Facebook. So why have that detritus all on the web? I have enough. Um, you know, it's kind of how I feel about having all my tweets in the Library of Congress. You know, I went to one of those services. I could, you know, there's a service that will delete all of your tweets after X amount of days before it goes to the Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. And I just don't feel a need to have my detritus out there. I mean, it's not meaningful stuff. So um, since I want to try and hit a bunch of stuff in the news and not go too, we tend to go deep right away. So let's try and stay a little bit more on top of other stuff. We can come back to this. Do you think Facebook did this in part because of the social network? This is another issue that was sort of hot this week. Do you think the release of the, that the timing of this with the movie is, is intentional? No. No. I think, I think giving money to that Jersey school in time for the release of the movie is, but I don't think these things that they've been working on for the last couple of months or whatever, no. What else do you think, what other effect do you think the movie is going to have? I mean, it's certainly, it's had a big, um, had a, there's been a lot of feedback in the Valley. There's been, a, you know, a couple pieces by Jeff Jarvis and Larry Lessigs. Lessigs is a little more uh, nuanced. Basically criticizing the film for stereotyping geeks, getting the Valley wrong, making a fictional film, yet making it seem like it's a documentary because it's got real people and it's, it's referencing their real lawsuits. Um, and then there's been another whole thread, both in the Daily Beast and I, and I was part of a very long conversation on Facebook of all places about how sexist the portrayal of the women in it were. Well, so that, those, are the, those are the things I kept hearing this week. Yeah, that was, that was my, I mean, the, the sexism was my take on it. That was, um, you know, it was, it, it was both... Um, treating geek as outsider um, very explicitly and denormalizing Zuckerberg, but also the women in there were all all ciphers. There was there was no woman character in there at all that had any, you know, reality to her. Which right, is and shocking. and and uh, Owen. I I haven't seen the movie, but really, mm -hmm. what little I know about the story and da da da. Uh, I mean, what role would a woman play in in it? It seems like yeah, all the major roles of of Facebook history, I don't hear of any women, really. That's right. I was talking about this with Owen Owen Thomas, who said at Valley Wagon, I would venture and he said, you know, it was a frat, sexist frat guy kind of environment that Zuckerberg did have. And in fact, there's kind of captured chat of him early saying, 
I got to get over that bitch about one of his exes or something kind of early. That was sort of how they talked. So I haven't seen it. That doesn't surprise me. I guess there's probably some, you know, women gratuitously sexually pleasuring men. They probably, as yes. usual, movies usually are about guys. Maybe they're in a submarine or they're cowboys together. They're cops. And then there's some, you know, bad guys. And then some women appear for 10 minutes, maybe six minutes in the middle of the movie, blow them and leave. That's a, Just so you don't think the men are really sleeping with each other. I mean, it's just a typical movie. That was oh, it's exactly the scene in The Social Network, yes. Um, the, the, the thing is that they frame it with um, Zuckerberg creating face mash um, and also humiliating on, online this, this um, alleged girlfriend um, and then end it with him sort of trying to friend her on Facebook and hitting refresh, sort of implying that he hasn't had any, you know, any normal human relationship with a woman for the entire period he's been building the company, which that bit is, is clearly fictionalized and he had a you know has had the same girlfriend since 2004 so that that did you just is, tell me the end of the movie uh, dude yeah, you know the did. end of the movie i mean this is <laughs> this is the structural problem with the movies we all know the end and they're sort yeah, of reduced to too. using the sort end of, of the movie is that is that cory booker gets a hundred thousand dollars was it a hundred million dollars for newark in schools <laughs> right isn't that the end of the movie uh, when he gives the money away? Oh, of course. We get, we get Facebook groups. I mean, that's what we get. Okay. <laughs> we get so, <laughs> what else happened is we, when we come back to Facebook, we have, um, did you did you get this piece, uh, Kevin Henry Jenkins replying to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's piece that we discussed last week um, about you know, how political activism isn't any better in the digital era because, of course, he doesn't fundamentally seem to understand the digital era, but and then the, the blogosphere kind of, including us in our, in our show, spent the week correcting him. Yes. Um, I did get that. I'm just trying to find it to, to cross-check it again. Hang on. Um, that was, I, you know, I think um, Paul Kodrowski was saying... Uh, has everyone in social media actually finished finished ripping glove well a new one yet can we move on now um i think the <laughs> yeah, the the, the it, it's, it's, a, it's the similar thing it was the same cultural issue of um i am very comfortable in this old world you know sorkin and gladwell are alike in this is that i'm very comfortable in this old world therefore i will um carefully structure anecdotes to belittle and complain about the new world and those of us who are like no we think we like this new world um end up getting very grumpy about this Somebody, somebody wrote a thing saying um, the reactions to the social network movie are sort of split in that um, if, you, if you believe in old media, then you see it as this awful warning that the internet you know, hollows out lives and leaves you empty. And if you actually believe in the internet, you see it as this sort of wonderful thing for the, um, for the nerd Zuckerberg doing one up at the existing establishment. So um, it's sort of it, the, the affect you come out with is exactly what you bring to it. As as usual with most art, yes, pretty much. Um, any and it's a much better that... story to show how evil and scary the internet is than <laughs> to show that it's actually fun and inclusive. You know, I mean, Shulman, you're doing some some work with entertainment business. Do you find that there's a lot of? Um, do you think it's fair to generalize from Sorkin's movie or Gladwell's approach that kind of that old media is scared and freaked out? You know, okay, so part of what I do for a living is I do work with some Hollywood personalities and uh, with their social media. And uh, they all have one thing in common where they say, I know I need to be doing something. 
You know, it doesn't mean they necessarily want to do it, but they do understand they need to be doing something. Um, even though they are getting paid by old media, you know, that's really where their bread and butter is. They still don't understand how uh, uh, social media and most of online worlds in general could generate any real money. And they don't understand uh, just the level of commitment of all these people talking back at them and what to do with it, you know? Um, so when the, the old media, they were happy that they could just do their job and it goes out and nothing really comes back other than metrics that people saw their movie, downloaded their song, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the old media thing that they, they could figure out and they haven't quite understood uh, totally about how all these other aspects of people actually interacting with them or interacting with their work in various ways is actually a helpful thing. But then I got one of, one of my clients who, uh, you know, wants to do a Kickstarter thing for and put out a mixtape. So he wants to put out a mixtape for free, but he wants to do a Kickstarter campaign to fund the creation of the mixtape. See? Um, so they're starting to figure out some ways to actually interact with their audience because then, you know, these people that back them on Kickstarter will get certain uh, uh, things sent to them or, you know, they'll be able to meet the guy or something like that, you know. Did I answer your question? Can anyone hear me? <laughs> I, I would say Heather's falling oh. off. That's Hel bad. that's what I see. That's that, that was the. I was, the I was expecting Heather scared. to respond, and suddenly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now that I look at the computer, I see uh, she's gone. I think she's been kicked out of uh, the no, creperia, she's, she's or whatever she's at. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lovely. And we, we, we're connecting to Debs now, so... There you go. Well, because they can't be at the same place at the same time. <laughs> no, they can. <laughs> we have proof. We were all three on a sofa at once this week, which is... And there's, and there's that an is age true. Come to that which was that is true. Hi, 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 world. Hello, world. Are we, are we, are we on air? We are. We're live. We are. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, okay, so Heather fell out in the middle of, of, of Shlomo's rather eloquent uh, discussion. Do you want to give a little tiny recap for Debs too? Okay, uh, well, I'm not. I forget what Heather's real question was, but what I was just talking about was uh, how uh, um, uh, some of one of the parts I one of the things I deal is I deal with Hollywood personalities in social media and in you know various campaigns uh, to get the word out about themselves and make sure people could understand them. And she was talking about the difference between old media and uh, all this new media stuff, I guess. And uh, one thing they all have in common these old media folks that I deal with, which are I wouldn't consider them old media. I would consider them you know, actors and musicians and things like that. I don't necessarily think that's old media. Um, but their whole thing is they understand the idea of I put out a movie and the only thing I have to hear back from the world is, did they see it? Did they download my song? Did they whatever? And now this whole uh, concept of they have to actually have interactions in various levels with uh, with their people, with their fans, and get more that way uh, is kind of the weird, scary part for them. They actually... Uh, get a little lost and confused and uh, let's say they look at their Facebook page and watching hundreds of comments on them just doing nothing, you know, because they're famous and they get a little freaked. Um, that's the biggest thing I have with those people. And why are they freaked out? Uh, they're freaked out because they're not used to how people deal with their stuff and deal with them. Um, they're used to seeing it in a distance, you know, you're used to seeing it behind a, some sort of velvet rope, let's say, you know, while you're on a red carpet or they see it, 
through Nielsen ratings or they see it through downloads on iTunes or, you know what I mean? Like, so they're used to a, a result, but they're not used to any sense of how it emotionally impacts people. People really think of them. Yeah. Able to ignore a real, real response. They're, they're, they'll maybe put it down to paparazzi and how journalists cover them, and that's as close as they get to exactly. having to deal with a response. And, and frankly, we know pretty well that that journalist, so-called journalistic world is pretty bought off a lot of the time anyway. Right, exactly. And so now, you know, like there's some of them, the, uh, and one I've been working on with for the last, I'll call it 14, 15 months, um, he still doesn't quite get it. Um, even though it is working for him, you know, he's had a lot of even press in the last two days for what we've been doing for him. And, uh, he's just kind of, he just is not an internet person anyway. He, uh, emails, he loves to text, we text, but you know what I mean? Past that, he doesn't really deal with the internet at all. His whole thing, like most of them are, are basically saying, I know I have to do it because it's being told to me that I have to do it. And that's why I'm here. You know, well, it's, it's a which it doesn't make them the greatest client. It doesn't make, you know, I went right. to go to do entertainment personalities because here living in San Francisco, most people want uh, our voices for companies. And I thought it was more interesting to be voices for voices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, which because it's even weirder and uh, odder to deal with them. Um, and you don't get this like style book with them. Um, you know what? Yes. Hey, it's Deb here. I just had to jump in because I'm doing this weird sort of mind shift between just having spent the last two days at a business conference and, and morphing over. And what's really interesting is, is you know, we usually relate, um, in my world at least, to the fact that it's big companies that don't know what it's like when their customers talk back to them and connect to them and can talk about them on Facebook. And it's really interesting for me to hear you say that, well, guess what? celebrities and stars have the same issue. They're like, who are you people who are our fans and stuff? It's kind of, I'd never, you know, thinking of those two worlds and this dealing with the same issue is very funny to me, but it makes sense in a lot of ways because you've sort of used to being sort of sequestered as a celebrity or star and do your craft over here and not mm-hmm. have this direct connection. And companies are dealing with the same thing. So it's, it's kind of interesting to put the, you know, celebrity actor and, you know, I don't know, Sears in the same category, but it is kind of the case in this way, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, I, I would I say can imagine is- just just wanting what the last day of what people talk about the Gap logo it must be interesting dealing with uh, outreach over there at Gap. Yeah, uh, and you want to explain? You wanna, holler at you. Shlomo, you want to fill in for people who don't know what what has happened with the Gap logo? Uh, basically, they kind of rebranded the whole look. You know, now they just have uh, in it. They wrote the word in Helvetica and put a little blue square next to the P. And uh, where before it was a different typeface in a blue square. And right. I guess uh, everyone's running around saying, why the heck is this looks horrible? And it's interesting how people actually care about Gap's logo. I think that's the biggest thing I come out with it. I never really, you know, think about the Gap that way. But I guess people do have that deep connection with it. And uh so now, like, whatever, I get, there are people here, let's see if I can find it, I will put up the, the link. Uh, well, some, you know. I think we'll we have it. more designers yeah. now because of the web, but I was going to say, to me, one of the differences between um, the Hollywood and uh, actors and so on, and, and companies like Sears, that's, that's part of the fundamental change, is that um, 
actors and a lot of about, a lot about power in Hollywood, a lot of what has been my my perception from my experience working there, Shlomo is a, is a, and as a performer, a very different one myself, is that they're kind of taught or they want to make themselves seem mysterious and different, quite distant, and that that is part of how they get people's interest. That they sort of have meted out little little drops of of uh, information about them that, that seem to be real or that are real to, so that those are kind of announcements. Those are unique moments that sell magazine stories or, or albums. And if that stuff is out there all the time, um, one, it makes them not be events. Two, it makes them less, a little less projected upon because that's sort of their job, right, to be projected upon. That's what they sign up for. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, that being projected upon. It, it, right, they're they're not used to hearing back. So, as how how do, how do you explain this world to them, Shlomo? Uh, I don't so much explain it as I show them. Uh, and how know, we all know that how fast things go. That if we sit there at some you know restaurant and I hop on the phone, take their picture, and throw it up, and watch interactions immediately happen, you know, sit there and say, you know, we're at Amoeba Records, let's say, you know, right now. And all of a sudden, people show up to Amoeba Records for them. They start to kind of understand that they uh, they have a, a podium that is much different than they than they had before. Um, and then some of these artists, like I was just telling them, uh, we're we're rolling out things to make that uh, fan actually be a part of the music. You know, one of them wants to put out a free mixtape, but he's going on Kickstarter to fund it. You know. Because um, in rap music, mixtapes are a big thing. They give out, that's how they get the words out, you know. Um, and so now they're starting to figure out that they don't have to wait for their agent to do something. Many of them are, you know, have to, things are slow for them to get work. And they're finding out that they don't actually, because it's going online and they haven't made these deals with other people yet for their on, online rights, that they could actually whip stuff out and communicate to these rabid folks. Uh, and not spend a trillion dollars, you know? They just want to work, you know, these these actors and musicians. They just want to make stuff. That's why you get Ileana Douglas doing that Ikea show, you know? Um, and it turns out it's doing really well for her. And she doesn't have to wait for that nice role from HBO or whatever because she's a quirky, odd actress, you know? She just built her own thing. Um, so Ileana actually understands that, but a lot of these people that I deal with are just starting to... Uh, want to understand it, I guess. They don't understand it yet. So, um, so I was going to say, so j- jumping, because uh, we're going to try to keep the show up tighter, we're going to go to comp- make it a bit of a segue here. So so people who I would think would more naturally understand this world are people who are, are go to Burning Man, people are burners, kind of the opposite, people who seek out experiences that are super communal, very much are people knowing each other, ideally non less commercial relationships, more about intimacy. And maybe Shalmi, you can describe a little bit about about what it's like to go to Burning Man and you yourself have organized a camp. Um, and I think we wanted to hear more about how you kind of tumbled. And again, I'm sorry we didn't hit tumbling fast enough at the top of the show. Tumbling uh, tumblers are people who catalyze others to change. And it comes from uh, a Yiddish term tumble to tumble or a tumbler who is an entertainer who who's hired often to make the wedding good, not just to, to be in front of the room, but to get everybody dancing and everybody involved. So um, I know that you know, Shlomo's done this sort of thing in terms of getting lots of different people to work together. I don't know, over an entire year for Burning Man Camp? Did you do it throughout the entire year? Um, I mean, some it, it depends. The one I'm with right now, 
I mean, originally, all right, so how you get people together and get anything to go and is... And maybe uh, first first, just give a quick ex- ex- explanation of what a camp is, what Burning Man is, for the few people who listen to this who don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the two people who found our show that don't know what Burning Man is, yes. I was going to say, I think you've gone to Burning, Burning Man, right? But Deb, Deb and Kevin, you have not. That's right. I have, I, 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 I have indeed been to three Burning Mans. Have you? Okay. Uh, I'm just asking the question. I don't know why. I'm, I'm just the token square here, I'm afraid. Okay. There's a lot of squares there, you know. Um, Burning Man is uh, different things to different people. Burning Man, I think, is a very difficult thing for most people to kind of understand because the first thing people think about is it's maybe some sort of festival where, let's say, at 3 o'clock so-and-so's playing and at 5 o'clock this thing is happening. And mm. there really is nothing uh, – there's no difference between – 3 p.m. and 3 a.m. out there. Things are just kind of happening. And because the, the reason why things are just happening is because, let's say, whatever I am bringing to Burning Man to, uh, to do out there, like uh, I've, I've had art cars. That's what I do right now. I have a large-scale art car that we'll talk about, I guess, um, as, as really was the catalyst for this last group. Um, what is going on in my house? Do you hear that? Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Don't answer so, that question. So- I thought you were making a daiquiri. Uh, No. (laughs) Something's going (laughs) crashy in here. Anyway, um, so people get a little confused about what exactly Burning Man is and what it is. It's a collection. It's an intentional community. Uh, They decide for whatever, a week, 10 days, you're going to go out to this one specific area and create some sort of city. And that means you will decide what you are bringing to this city. And what you bring, hopefully, is above and beyond what your needs are. In other words, more than just your food and your bed, hopefully you are bringing something for the city to be part of. Some people are taxis. Some people uh, are shows. Some people are sculptures. Just just explain for people that have been there, city, it's like a, a transitional city that exists for a period of week or two weeks. And it's made up of little camps, some of which grow quite large, which have a theme sometimes, just to make it kind yes. of... Okay. Like, my camp didn't have a theme. We were about 100 people this year. So I think 100 people is a fair amount of people. That's a lot of... That's wow. a big camp. Most people, most camps, I don't know the average, but I imagine most are about, you know, eight, you know, to it. Um, and But when you have a camp of 100 people, now you are uh, dealing with an infrastructure of this actual little camp. And so not only are you dealing with the city as a whole of what we're bringing us bringing in our car and that is really a people mover and also you're dealing with the specifics of a camp's needs in terms of trash in terms of cleaning up to get out in in terms of someone's uh, tent breaks you know what i mean all of the above uh, uh, so you you have this little village of 100 in the middle of a city of what 70,000 you know is is kind of these two, it's a multi-level thing of what's going on, especially when you're running a camp, uh, you're filled with a lot of people who don't really know what to do. And then, of course, because it's Burning Man, uh, some people do take uh, drugs, and so you have to deal with them. You know what I mean? Make sure they don't die. <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, is it Cherry saying that it seems sounds scary for an introvert? Um, Actually, you know, see, that's it's surprisingly it's surprisingly not. But I can imagine how you think it would. I was somebody who thought it would be horrible for years and went almost very, even though I knew tons about it and people who went. 
Um, I think because you could, if you want to, just sit there on your own, really, the entire time. Just wander around and not talk to anybody, and no one's going to mind. And you'll probably be content if you don't want to talk to anybody. Um, it's not a rave, per se, though people do go and do that. You know, that's just not my thing. Um, but there is a lot, there are some of the smartest people uh, who mix public space and digital life that show up to this place. Um, and that's a big part of Burning Man and how there's the intentional city community for the week, but a lot happens that is online. It's a lot of what, uh, I don't know what uh, uh, people are into now of mixing meat space and the digital space, you know, and, and not having these separate identities, you know. Um, even though a lot of people have fake names out there, da, 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 it does that fake name a lot of time translates into their digital identity. And so now you've got this, you know, construct that is actually overlapping. And that's something I do not see outside of, tech, you know, techies. Um, Why not? Why do you think? I think they are more open to trying things. Um, and I think they are seeing a lot of the stuff where you are on a, uh, a pretty crappy section of desert that's really nasty. It's, I've done a lot of desert camping, and then I went to Burning Man. It's like, wow, this is the worst desert I've ever been in. It's super, <laughs> super alkaline. You know, it's just not a fun desert. Um, and uh, I think they – so when you're out there in that middle of nowhere and you're seeing so much technology actually being used uh, – and that mix, I think they start to understand that that's, you know, there's this mixture. I mean, Burning Man itself as an organization has always had big technophiles, uh, a part of the higher ups, you know, mm. that's always just kind of been in. I mean, even whatever Google donated hundreds of bikes last year, the year before for people to just use and they're non-branded. Uh, everything has to be non-branded there, right? Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's. That's part of it is getting yourself out of your typical space, and branding is definitely uh, something we're too used to. That is so much ingrained in us. It's you actually notice it when when it's gone. So, in organizing the camp, how long have you been doing that, and how did you find yourself tumbling? And and to me, Burning Man feels like the ultimate in kind of agile, uh, you know, very flexible, kind of fluid ways of organizing. And, um, and, and how much is that like being online? And, and can we, the, you know, we'll start there. Okay. Um, all right. So on the camp I was, uh, I just did, uh, our, our unifier was in our car, which is a 42 foot school bus that, uh, we bought in Wisconsin at auction for like, you know, $1,200. And then we cut the last half off, you know, so it looks like. So the first half is about uh, 20 feet, so it looks like a short bus with a flatbed, right? Mm -hmm. Can you picture that? Um, maybe I can find a picture as we go. Um, and uh, so we, we used that to start bringing all these creatives together, be that people who could design the look and feel of this bus to uh, people who are designing the lights on this bus to we had a big sound thing on it because there's a DJ component to uh, the camp I was with. So we need to have a DJ booth, so people are running that. And then you get that. And so from that as the top of the pyramid, everything else about the camp kind of trips down. So it's a lot of making sure all these people feel involved 
and getting their mark put onto this bus, right? Uh, each person who is a part of the camp needs to feel that they could point at it and say, I did that. And it just doesn't matter what, you know, what exactly they did, but that's the biggest point. That's how you could actually get these people together. And so through the year, uh, when we're building it, it all centers around this bus. Um, and you keep them focused on like, remember, we have a goal here. So now that once you get to the playa and we're still working on this bus because there's, you know, you're not going to drive it fully formed from San Francisco to Burning Man, which is like seven hours away or whatever. Um, you did, you would keep them, you know, once you're out there, you keep them into the bus. Sorry, I, I just had a brain fart. Uh, you keep them into the bus and start uh, splintering these groups out to keep the camp working. And uh, me and a couple other people's job is basically is to make them feel wanted and to want to work. <laughs> you know, one, I need them to work, but two, I want them to want to work. So and so my question about that, I think and one of the things that is kind of odd is that someone who can, like yourself, um, catalyze others to action and make people want to feel part of a community, whether it be online or offline, is what do you think some of the things are that you do that enable that, 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 that sort of do galvanize folks in the camp to want to participate or actually even recruit folks who've never been in a camp with you before. And, and, and how do you sort of balance that sort of, uh, you know, benevolent leadership versus anarchy kind of, <laughs> kind of temperature. And that's always happened. That's always the, uh, the, the line that you're straddling, right? Every once in a while you have to do, you have to be that dictator, but most of the time you want to kind of talk them into uh, coming up with the idea to help you themselves, right? Um, and a lot of that is talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. You have to go to each person. I mean, when you're walking around this, when you're at Burning Man and you know you have this bus, but people just want to go out and do their own thing. People are just kind of, you know, because they're in this crazy environment, you go to them one by one and remind them of their importance. And that's the same thing with even online when you're dealing with communities, right? you got to go to pretty much each person individually and remind them uh, of their importance because then they won't help. I mean, even years ago when uh, I was making VloggerCon and the only reason why it's successful is because those of us who were throwing it went to people specifically and said, I know you live in Europe, but I need you here, you know, because you are part of this online video community back then and you need to be in this room. And they're like, you know what? You're right. They, they knew it. They just have to be told it, you know? And I don't think it's disingenuous to tell them these things. But I think that's the biggest thing I have to do. There's something powerful about a human being telling you one-to-one -one personally with their voice that you're needed or you're wanted. Yes, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the handshake. I mean... Oh, I imagine, you know, Deb, you get this all the time. How do you get these people together? Well, don't you? I used to use this line all the time. It's like, it's called a handshake. Yes. You know, you don't rewrite the wheel, you know? Uh, <laughs> there's no need to. We're not trying to create a new emotion. We're trying to elicit the ones we already know. And, yeah, I've, uh, actually, I've actually told people, you're trying to get that metaphor to the two-dimensional world. Like, when someone hits the enter button, it is the equivalent of a handshake. And you need to start realizing that there are people behind that sign-in, right? Exactly. I think it's still and easy. 
it just as important, like in face to face, people forget that all the time, but nothing is more important to yours and Heather's point than people want to feel wanted and needed and they have expertise. I think there's a skill that you probably bring to the table of identifying the right people to be part of that as well. Mm-hmm. Especially ones that you would have uh, as your, you know, co-leaders or whatever, you know, same thing when you have any community and you reach out to those who are most active, right? Those are, those are your best advocates, right? And you go to them and say, you know what? I need your help because you are actually helping just by being you. Um, and then all of a sudden they go, whoa, okay. Then I'm so going to actually talk more intentionally as opposed to just doing exactly what they're doing already. It just comes with more intentionality. So if we were going to apply that to the political world in the U.S., what that look like? Well, you know, you, what that is the problem with the the no on eight thing, right? That they did not go door to door enough. They did not, you know. Uh, it turned out that uh, the Mormons actually went door to door more, and that's why they won, right? Well, well it's not the only. There's, there's a bunch of, in my opinion, there's a bunch of reasons. Um, that's one of them. Uh, they also didn't do anything online. So they didn't do the online equivalents of going door to door either, <laughs> uh, or enabling other people to do that. They they also didn't invoke emotion at all in the uh, clearly because they they as uh, as as some of us would say they dediked the campaign, so they made it seem not like no one was gay, uh, and they tried to make it about an abstract notion of of uh, rights. And I got a long list it's about why Prop Eight failed. <laughs> Or a prep eight passed and the campaign against it failed, but for sure it wasn't that emotional. For sure there wasn't people wanted to become personally involved, but there was no Tumblr like you, Shlomo, that said you're great. What else can you do? And the same way the Obama campaign did a little bit of that, right? They did try to take advantage of people's expertise, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, prop eight said write us a check, and a lot of mainstream organizations, just like mainstream. Old school companies like you're talking about Deb, like Sears, just say just just buy the thing. That all you can do is come and buy an object. All you can do is write me a check. That's the extent of the way we can do something together. I gotta yeah, tell you, you know the worst part about uh, being a you know going getting into a political cause is there honestly I've rarely met people, gone to meetings, go to my local whatever neighborhood association stuff even, and there's never those sort of catalysts. I. I don't think I can name one time I've ever been to a political cause function that I cared about that someone who is not the top tier, like let's say we listen to Obama speak, uh, no one else has actually catalyzed me. And uh, it has something to do with even the Prop 8, I mean, any issue throughout my whole time playing with politics. Why do you think no one's catalyzed you? Um, I just don't think they, those people, there's too much uh, uh, need for. There's too much egotism of drive to be the leader, and uh, not enough passion of seeing individuals actually care. There's one thing about wanting to be a leader and having all these people follow you, and it's another thing trying to catalyze catalyze a group of people to do something for a single cause. You know what I mean? Like, let's say when I lead a Burning Man camp, I'm not getting anything out of that in a public sphere per se. You know what I'm saying? You, I have you don't, these you don't, you don't get the T-shirt and the big star that says, I'm the head of the Burning Man camp. Follow exactly. me. Exactly. See what I'm saying? And so, and I think politics, that's a big part of it, is those who are at the top really have this need of being known. 
Well, also um, the entire fundraising process, and I think right. there, somebody leaked a PowerPoint presentation from the GOP, but it works on both sides um, this way, that basically they try to create, and a lot of businesses work this way, right? They try to these these tiers, you're the most important, we're going to, the big donors, we're going to appeal to your need to feel special, you're in a VIP room, get this special treat when you do this, blah, blah, blah. But then what do they do besides also write checks like is there any way in which they feel really that much more involved hmm. well, this is this is back to the the gladwell thing again his 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 right contention is that that the only way you can organize political change is through hierarchy um and you know the the, the i suppose the, you know the country is structured that way the, Political systems were structured a long time ago, so only one person can speak at a time. That's and all the rules of Parliament and Congress and so on are designed to to work that way. And then they go off somewhere else and draw up a bunch of stuff, and they come back and speak in turn. So uh, who holds the, the conch shell speaks exactly. Whereas on the net, we we all speak in parallel. We we always we all whatever happens, lots of us speak in parallel. Then bits of that get picked up and passed on and swapped around and changed. Um, and that is a very, very different way of um, constructing a consensus, you know, um, organizing a process, doing anything. And to anyone who's used to the other model, it does look like a mess that makes no sense at all. Um, and it takes a long time to get used to that idea. Um, and even to see that, that you know, you have um, these small islands of organization and structure and tumbling within that, um, that, that sort of glom together to build the larger thing and i think you know maybe burning man is, is a metaphor for that where um you there is the, there's a sort of a lot of this stuff going on behind the scenes of people talking to each other and having conversations and constructing things and they all come together in the in the desert for a, um, a week and this sort of city appears from nowhere and disappears again uh, that's that may be a concrete thing you can point to and say look we can we can construct a, a, a polity from scratch uh, every year and keep doing that um mm-hmm. And remember, uh, you know, there's one I'm talking about, like this camp, and you know, we are autonomous from the Burning Man organization. And you're right, we are doing what we want. Da, 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 da. But there's still an infrastructure we have to deal with with the Burning Man organization. I mean, I worked for a group called the Artery this year, and the Artery is the folks who facilitate the the art that's on the playa. So you can't just, you know, if you if you have a if your art is of a certain size. You have to come through us because there's actually some guidelines. These are not state-run guidelines. These are Burning Man guidelines of, of how you're going to anchor it and make sure that's safe and blah, 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 and your GPS on where you get to be. And actually, that was a really neat thing of where I got to just kind of help artists get what they need, uh, you know, to set up their piece. And then you walk around and say, hey, I met that guy. Um, so there is a total infrastructure. There's uh, there's a whole group of people who you know who work there and get fed by the organization, and they definitely have a hierarchy uh, in a much more like many of them are paid, even if it's not much, they are paid. Some people are there for months, uh, for like six, eight months. Some of these people working at the place. Um, so there is a, a an actual real structure throughout the running thing. And what they what the structure they have created though is to allow us to have this open ended situation. So you, they have a very limited, you know, finite thing that they do, but in the, their end result is to make things open for the rest of us to do whatever we want. You know? I mean, Shalom, do you think that you were saying before about the, the downfall of political people having to Majigo, do you think what makes a tumbler in any situation, and Kevin, your thoughts too, is having less ego inherently part of success in this situation, in this 
this way of, of organizing? Absolutely. I mean, you got to actually care about people wanting to get together for a cause, then you have to then necessarily furthering whatever end goals I have for my own life. You know? And do you think some of the success, people with so-called success in social media we've seen have actually less ego? No. Does that correlate? No, are that's different. See, when you're saying the people who are like, quote unquote, big experts in social they're media. Not, they're not necessarily tumbling, are they? No, 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 not at all. So explain uh, just, why. Why do you think not? I mean, I do like some of these uh, larger than life experts who uh, run around and constantly write stuff that uh, is kind of dumbed down social media concepts rewritten over and over again. But uh, they're not necessarily uh, creating any sort of spaces for people, at least not in, a, in an open freeway. I mean, some of them do create those spaces, but they are paywalled, right? I mean, there are some of those companies that do like, I don't know, third tribe media, uh, third, uh, third tribe that Brogan does, you know? which I haven't gone into because I'm not going to pay for it. But, you know, he does make these office hours to let people talk to him and such. I'm not sure what people are really getting out of that, even though I like the man. Um, but when we get together, we don't talk about social media. We talk about the beer we're drinking. Um, right. See what I'm saying? Uh, I don't know. It's definitely an ego world, isn't it? How come I have to have my face all over my um, social media site? Is that really personal or is it an ego? Well, I mean, I think it's because there's this um, anxiety about how do you have uh, success? Well, I need to measure it. I need dollars. I need a certain number of followers. And because people are coming from these more ego-based one-to-many modes, uh, they want someone to talk to them that way about this new thing. It's easier to feel like you're getting emotional containment from that person who says, oh, I'm going to take care of everything for you. And then they take sort of advantage of that relationship and say, look, you're, you know, you're a fan of me and... I have a personal brand, so they, they try to promote the idea that you're going to brand. That branding is really the thing that makes things move and 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 has success. But the truth is, if honest, well, we think things don't actually catalyze and happen without the tumbling, which can't be just about branding. There's no way. I well, think. yeah. Well, if you're tumbling, you don't have time to brand to sit around and constantly brand, right? No, but you. If you're tumbling, people, you're having too much. You're spending your time. Writing and interacting, and not you know, not you still get a you still get a reputation, right? Like people still know who you are. They say, "Oh, Shlomo, he's a guy who makes stuff happen. He's like a fixer. He knows video really well." I mean, but <laughs> you have a different kind of credibility and, and genuine social capital from having actually helped people and really um, spent time working with them. That's a little bit different than I just always reply to your comments and I spend eight hours online at night, like Gary Vee suggests everyone do. And yes, they flow and go by all that stuff matters, but it's not the same thing as really being with you, is it? No. <laughs> and I do think, I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I think you're, I guess you're kind of right if I'm going to have to think about myself for a moment, um, where I do, you know, I don't have this kind, you know, I do work in social media, but I don't have a social media site that I push people towards to show me as that sort of professional. I mean, And has that gotten your, in the way of your getting clients at work? Um, no, because I show up and I don't know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to have a name that people remember. <laughs> that helps. Is that, is that the key? <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, I think, I think you're selling yourself a little short. <laughs> but you hear what I'm saying though? I mean, yes, I, uh, early on in the space, I did show up in things and help create things. Right. And, uh, there weren't 
there are not many of us in general in any given day who actually show up to things and create things. Every day, there's only a few people who do, right? Um, so if you're one of those who actually do something, then okay, then people are going to start noticing you as something. But uh, I definitely, and I think that's how I've been able to have this aspect of my career. You know what I mean? Um, even though when you look at me online, a lot of you people don't quite understand what I do. They understand that I've owned a bar. They understand that uh, I make goofy videos at times. You know what I mean? But I don't. I definitely don't have a a, a business site. Um, and that's I, that's helped me in in uh, certain aspects, and it's hindered me in others. Um, but it's definitely something I enjoy because the last thing I want to do is maintain a professional site of myself. That sounds horrible and a waste of my time when I could be actually out doing something uh, productive, which is how I make my living. <laughs> right. That but, so, yeah, it makes sense to me. Go ahead, Deb or Kev. So, the, the, I mean, the thing you said about putting your face out there, I think, you know, we, I go back to my faces thing again, but the thing that we've got right technically in the in the newer social stuff is that your face is associated with what you're saying, and that, that creates the sense of conversation there. Um, and for for co- corporations, the logo is their face. That that's you know that's that's all they have in that context. If you actually look at Twitter or Facebook, you see you have conversations with people, and you have these sort of um, corporations butting in, and, and their thing shows the logo instead. Um, so you know, I think that may be behind the sort of sudden oh my god, gap change their logo type thing because it's like my friend just had massive plastic surgery, and how do I tell them that it looks ugly? That's there's this. <laughs> And that that's yeah. the you know, I think that that mapping does hold up. So how how do you think we could have some of this less Igor at focus on making stuff in the civic space, in the political space, in the work in the corporate world? What do you think? Well, in school they called it, you know, or in college, you know, it was it was about doing extracurricular activities, right? Um, I think once you get out of school, you forget that that aspect of what you need to do. Extracurricular activities in college was, I don't know. Uh, well, I went to school at UC Santa Cruz, so it's what take back the night, and it was things like that, right? You would uh, <laughs> have these take sort of take back the night. We're dating ourselves. I love it. Hey, it still exists, Deb. <laughs> take back the night still happens. It does. I know. It's sad that it still happens. It just started when we were probably all in college, which is probably. you know that's the dating part. I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so this is their extracurricular activities, right? I mean, sure, college movies are all about keg stands, but college also has a lot of, you know, most people, I believe, who go to a university and live in, live in a dorm for a year or two have one of their extracurricular activities being political social change oriented. So once we get out of college, we forget that we need to have some of that time, you know? Although, and you know, I, I think it's sort of a sad commentary that that see what you're alluding to is that people only do things with you know in a in a communal space sense when it's not part of their a day job or b um, the, the learning time. And I think uh, you know extracurricular activities, right? I think what we're hoping that 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 we start, and I think we're starting to see happen, is that I think with my very huge optimist hat on because our chat room is going optimists, pessimists, where does that all fit into the equation? Um, with my very huge optimist hat on, I'd like to, to think that we are at some sort of turning point where people are realizing that we're part of a larger commons and yes, they're going to be, you know, that that's going to, that 
that's going to create certain very left-wing or very right-wing, whether in the political or other sense, it's going to create homophilies. But I think people are also having a sense of exhaustion from it. And I think I'd like to think that now that we're all woven together in this web, that people are going to start to realize that what you do today can come back and bite you in the ass later and that you are part of a larger connected whole. I think even like in the context that I live in daily and is very much in front of my face right now, literally because of this conference I'm at, organizations actually want to try to do something different. They just, I think we've lost the skill. I think that's what's so fascinating about hearing you talk about what comes so naturally to you to put together a, a camp at Burning Man where you turn to someone to your left or to your right and say, no, no, we really need you to be part of this. And I think in this world we live in, you know, whether it's social media, media or big business, people have forgotten to look someone in the eye, shake their hand and say, no, no, you're actually needed or you have something valuable to add. Well, Deb, what Shlomo's saying is to, before he says that to other people, I mean, Shlomo, don't you believe, first of all, that what you're doing matters for starters? And oh, then totally. you believe, I mean, like, you care about these people. And I don't know that none of these other spheres, if that's true. Oh, of course. And you want to right. create, you want people around you that you feel comfortable with and you feel comfortable with them because you're galvanized under one cause. You know what I mean? So these are not people I actually know on a day-to-day, -day, right? These are people mm -hmm. who I'm meeting because we're, we are under one cause and trying to move forward in as much as a not army sort of situation as we can, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that, that that can exist if you're in a business together, whether it's a big business or a small business. I'd like to think that you're all trying to create and make something, whether it's a startup or a larger company or in a political arena, you should all be sort of trying. So I'm saying I think that th that the... It is sort of we've really for, we've really forgotten the how. Yeah. So, how do people learn this? I mean, I don't know. One of my degrees at, at Santa Cruz was uh, community studies, which was all about grassroots organizing. So, and then I ended up making documentaries through that. So, and that program now is dead. So, how do people actually learn these skills somewhere? How do anyone? Um, you know, I, you know, it's funny, you know, where I learned a lot of it because I was someone in college who was organizing constantly, although I have to say it did get quite exhausting. I organized so much both in college and law school, often very politically. And I have to say the political sphere was more exhausting than any other sphere uh, of organizing I ever did. Um, I think it's because, uh, I, you know, I grew up in a really small Jewish community, like a little shtetl in Canada, about 40 people. And I learned from my mom and the women of that community who all had, first of all, I had Shabbat. I had Friday night dinner with 16 people every week, my entire extended family. So we were all organizing amongst ourselves just to bring, get the food together. So I just, that was like what I saw every week. And then when there was an event or someone died or you had to do something, you kind of had to mobilize the whole community. And they had, you know, one of those uh, call sheets. I remember like a long full scap piece of paper. Remember when it was sure. like, you get the long paper and it sure. was mimeographed and there was everybody's name, you know, kind of written on it. And it was, I wouldn't say it was quite phone trees as there were so few people, there wasn't a whole lot of tree going on. But I just saw that as how you lived. And that was, those were the things that were fun. Part of the reason I was motivated is I I wanted things, maybe this is true for you, Shlomo, I wanted to make the things I wanted to experience. They weren't there. I knew I wanted this certain thing, or the same with the shows I've made. I wanted to have a space where we could talk a certain way, like this show we're having now. So See, and that's, an, that's a big point that I wasn't even, you know, well, I had forgotten about, 
but that's a big thing that uh, of why I do most of what I do is because I actually think it needs to be out there. You know, you know there needs to be whatever this construct, it needs to be birthed. And uh, a lot of that just happens to incorporate mass amounts of people. It just happens to be the sort of things that my head kind of wraps around that says, you know, that's what I think is needed. We all need to get together and do this, you know, sort of. So how do you think? It's the Little Rascals thing. Hey, let's put on a show. (laughs) I grew up with Little Rascals, and it definitely was a big part of uh, my upbringing of understanding how to deal with people. I mean, if those Little Rascals. More Mickey Rooney movies and more Little Rascals. (laughs) Totally. That kind of earnest, we can do it feeling, which you, you kind of get on glee a little bit, but in most places you don't see so much in the media. So Shlomo, we're gonna we're gonna we're close to wrapping up our new time. We're committed to keeping this tight nice. from everybody. But maybe we'll close with Shlomo first. We'll start with with Deb and then Kev, kind of quickly. What do you think, based on the stuff Shlomo was saying, we can do to make civic life or business organizational life, politics, organize more like this Burning Man structure he's, he's talking about, which has some authority to in this in the, some some sort of lines of hierarchy in and payment in the the core infrastructure, but that it's dedicated to be designed to have open nodes that then self-organize. Deb, Kevin, one of you. Oh, I'll jump in. Um, I, I'd like to hear Kevin. Kevin, do you want to jump in first? I have an idea, but you want to jump in well, first? I, I wanted to link this back to the stuff we were um, we did at the CrowdConf thing um, this week, discussing the sort of the the sense of being trying to find the the space in the middle where you're actually having a conversation between the loneliness of no one responding on one side and the sort of flood of noise of everyone on earth wading in and arguing with you on the other side. And that's the ch- the challenge we have um, with doing this, this stuff online and bringing that back to the real world is both um, the, the sort of the value of tumbling is just to move it back to the conversation and away from the flame war but also are you know are building organizational structures that that help funnel things in that way as well so so that you know the the, the difference between um a message board and a wiki is that in a wiki the the fights happen sort of on the back of the page and what's left on the front of the page is the the result of the conversation um and that's you know that, that's sort of one of those weird bits of technical architecture that just ha- um happen to work out that way um and I'm fascinated to watch how you know how we can come up with rule sets and, and things to try and encourage this. And I think one, you know, one example, you know, bending back to the, the Facebook groups thing, is that Facebook groups has now made it um, penalized you for having lots of connections on Facebook because suddenly you've been joined, you know, for every possible person, you can be joined to another 20 groups and you can, that can fan out and destroy your um, experience there completely. Whereas, um, so the Shlomo's sort of famous people he's trying to get engaged will get blown up by that. Whereas on Twitter, it is perfectly possible for someone to have a million followers and still have an intimate conversation because the, the, the sort of flood of responses doesn't get amplified and recirculated in the same way. Yeah, I, I think what I think what's it, what's inherent in what you've said that people don't necessarily think about is that I, I think you know uh, t- harking back to Heather's sort of understanding of what community was from how she grew up and how I also grew up that you're there for the other side is I've started to refer to the community as the as you know a bad four letter word because I think people overuse it and I think there are different types of community there are different types of groups of people to get together and yes if a business is going to get a group together and everyone cares about the gap redesign of the 
logo, that's a very different sense, uh, you know, interaction than people who were sort of passionately um, advocating, um, you know, on a political cause that they care about. And I think one of the things, to your point, Heather, we, we got together this week, all of us, and said we need to get a little more perhaps practical in explaining what it is that is needed. And I think, you know, Shlomo did a great job of saying right up front, people need to feel needed. And I think what I'd like us to continue to do on this show, right, is, you know, try to break down and unpack what it is, and it's sort of that muscle of how people feel part of a crowd and a group. And, it, you know, in whether it be in business and culture, when you're, you know, uh, a film or an actor or anything. But I think we need to sort of break it down and model the behavior that we see other people do well, you know. So, so Shlomo, we're going to go to you for kind of closing thoughts. All the stuff we've just said, if you were going to make politics, even if it was running for city council in San Francisco or someone running for governor, we're going to go, you know, they're going to ask us, how are you going to make it be more like this Burning Man thing so that there is some, there are people like Shlomo out there, bring, like you bringing people in uh, and getting engaged. How would you do that? See, that's the problem because, as I already said, I have a fundamental problem with uh, how politics are organized anyway right now. Right. So I'm um, saying you get to remake it any way you want. Based on <laughs> it's a blank slate. Based on your right. what would you do? What would you do? Huh. First thing I would do is not allow anyone to be paid. <laughs> they would have to have another job. They would have to actually work in their city and have a That's normal good. job at the same time. That would be okay. the first thing I would do. Um, and that, that would bring them back down to our level, right? We are now all in the same thing when I have to work at Starbucks, too, instead of get to go to the big, nice office. Um, though they don't have that great of offices in San Francisco, but you know what I mean. Um, Oh, things like that. They need people who are, are city councilors have like access to all the parts of San Francisco. They have some cool offices. Yeah. They have some great offices, and they're allowed to, you know, as a small business owner in San Francisco, you know, who uh, just sold my bar and I'm buying another one right now. It's a pain in the butt where they get to walk in and they just get these businesses, and people like me, because I'm not a politico, uh, actually have to beg, borrow, and steal to be able to get the uh, the right to purchase. Right. Um, so, you know, you know, that's the problem with politics. And what I would be so bad is I'm just not a good, good at cronyism. <laughs> okay, so number better. one, no one's no one's paid. So ne next thing, how who gets to tumble? Why are they tumbling? How's it set up? Maybe you got to have more town meetings. Maybe, uh, you know, people do go to community meetings when they're set up right now. The stuff at Dolores Park, uh, putting a, a coffee stand in the middle of it has become a big galvanizing issue for people in uh, in my neighborhood, in the mission. Um, and people are showing up to these meetings. Um, the problem is uh, the, the people at the top are not really facilitating these things in a way that people could truly understand the issue. In other words, Everyone's throwing in politics is about throwing in smoke to uh, to help uh, cover certain aspects of the problem. Right. And uh, I don't know. See, that's the thing. When you bring me into politics. No, I'm not bringing you into politics. I'm saying you get to reinvent politics based on how Burning Man organizing works for you. What would you do? Not yeah. what do you not like about what they're doing now, other than use that to say, OK, it would happen. Like you said, so if we we're going to do it like Burning Man. If we we're going to do it like Burning Man. We would socialize everything, right? Because that's what Burning Man does. They, you, you give them your whatever hundred bucks to be able to go, 
and then uh, you, uh, they, you know, medical is paid for, right? There's medical tents that'll take care of you. Uh, there's uh, places to get food, da, 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 it's, it's, and just socialize just, the whole thing. But, but Burning Man, the thing that really blew my mind, I'm going to say to the people in the chat room, including Myers, they're like, yeah, there's kind of stuff about it. Because, yeah, I had issues before I went to. But the most mind-blowing thing is not just there's a medical tent with volunteers staffing it. Hello? I think we lost her. Oh. oh, that's a shame. She was she was heading to somewhere. Some, some something, and now she's frozen. We, Heather is frozen in in space and time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> she's she connecting. Goes. She's connecting back in. I think. I mean, we're we're using. I mean, if it's easier for you to wrap your head around it, Shlomo, try to take po the politics that we know it today. Yeah. And instead of using the word politics, how about we think of it in terms of civic action or, or being part of your local community? Like instead of politics what with a capital P, what, does that sort of you know wasn't it kind free of, you that, from the metaphor of what you was know that program that Clinton did? What was it called where he was having college kids like uh, helping them out by doing civic minded works? Remember that program that he had for like a year and a half? No, Am but I'm sure Google. I'm, I'm sure Google will remember it, Kevin. <laughs> Can you find it? <laughs> uh, and it was for. Right. It, it wasn't the piece. He called it something else, um, because uh, Peace Corps usually gets you out of the country, and oh, this was, was about keeping yes. you here and yes. doing civic-minded activities. Yeah. Now, yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting that that we had to do that like you had to pay taxes, and now I had oh, to. Oh yeah. You know that. Think if we all had to do five hours a week. Heck, five hours a month actually. It sounds a little more appropriate because people are busy and need stuff to do and have families. To do. So five hours a month, which sounds like nothing, but added up to millions of people in this country. Now there's something going on. Uh, we would have cleaner streets. We would have uh, graffiti yeah. taken off the walls. We would have homeless being fed. We would have, you know what I'm saying? And, the, and it would be mandatory. I um, agree. And I think one thing that America's AmeriCorps, kind of that's what it is. AmeriCorps, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, America. Thank you, chat room. I, I think what you're talking about, which is which is awesome, and this is going to sound. Stay with me on this metaphor, but I'm um, a pretty young uh, daughter of uh, a man from the Greatest Generation who fought in World War II, right? And and have spent time abroad in countries that where there is more sort of a required participation in the military, and and. Hold, hold with me on the metaphor because I'm saying is I'm not into sort of everyone having to be part of the war machine, but there is something that happens when everyone in an entire country is sort of required to participate in the larger um, community. Uh, the, the, in the perfect world, you get to do it on the local level like you're talking about, and I actually think it breaks up some of that homophily and, and, and some of that and if you're required to sort of become face-to-face -face with people that you're building your world with, you sort of have to get over some of your crap, for want of a better world, like, you know, uh, and, and see the human being in front of you. So I agree. I think it would be great if, especially in America, if kids were required to do some sort of civic civic good, um, you know, uh, and, and, and participate in, in improving their communities rather than just going directly in sort of the American consumerist way from high school to spending four years getting drunk to starting to make money, you know, like, right. you know, well, I would just say, Deb, and we, we have to wrap because we've gone way we're over. Waiting for you to, we're waiting for you to come back, honey. Oh, I've been here a little bit waiting. I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, so you're talking about enforced participation. Shlomo, Burning Man is, is voluntary participation. Maybe you could just close us out on that top. 
Um, well, I brought up the, the forced participation. I think that's if you were going to keep it into politics and such, I think that's the way that we're going to change everything. Um, now, because uh, with Burning Man, I mean, uh, the where you get the choice if you're going to do it or not um, takes more of a push. But if I was going to push it in politics, I would definitely five hours a month mandatory, I think is I think all of us should have to do that. Even I think you should do it once you get out of school. Once you're right. finished, like if you graduate high school, then now you have to do five hours a week. Once right. you graduate, if you go to college, then it's postponed. Once you finish college, it's mandatory. Basically, for the rest of your life, uh, you have to do it until you're of a certain age. Um, yeah. And you know what? That would I actually think you would, you really would actually, help with our uh, budget issues, wouldn't it? It would help yes. with our budget issues. It would help with our interaction with other people issues. It would help understanding, I mean, when was the last time you moved somewhere and the neighbor came over with a baked ziti, right? That just doesn't right. happen anymore. Of course, I don't live in a small town and I never have lived in a small town. But I just don't think that really happens anymore at all. And well, that I would think, actually make that happen. I think it actually doesn't happen maybe in the big cities. I think there are some places where it might happen, but not absolutely not enough. Absolutely not even even close to enough. Not even close, right? yeah. And, and, and that is what makes life feel a lot more <laughs> worth living. So I... We, we've gone over the, the amount we'd hoped to do today, but we're trying to Sorry. keep things tighter. No, not at all. It's great stuff. I want to thank um, our guest, Shlomo Rabinowitz, for not just for being a great guest, but for being the kind of person who just shows up. I mean, there, there's really... so. How, I mean, who do you know who ever listened to this? Where if you're sick, if something's bad, if you need to be moved, you just know that if you ask this person, they'll be there. That makes you feel safer living. And uh, I think it's something, the kind of person maybe we can all strive to be more of. So I just want to thank you for being being that kind of person and, and hope you'll come back and we talk more about some of your projects. Just so awesome. you know, we have a new segment called uh, Tell Me Live for the Startup Guy, and we'd be happy to do it with some of your clients if you want, where they come and we give them a little panel of how to think, okay, understand that would stuff. be cool. I would definitely, I will definitely ask time. Like, okay, here's what you're doing, but here's how you could rechange it around relational tumble stuff. So... Everybody Perfect. in the room, in the chat room, sci-fi, uh, the new folks who joined us from Crowd Conference, who met us there, we had a great time. We want to thank Molly and Luke, Lucas there. We, um, uh, Kevin's tweeted out the Prezi that we did. There's a really delightful slide that he put together from us. You might want to check out uh, about tumbling and conversation in the sweet spot of the web and organization. And uh, Zena Frini and Myers, as always, and Cherry, 75. Haven't seen you here so, so much, but great to see you here this time. And everybody else who joined us. Really great to have you. Um, really fun conversation, as always. We'll be back again next week. Uh, I've got an unpresenting workshop teaching people how to tumble the 17th of October. So please do let other folks know uh, that that's possible if they want to learn this stuff. I don't know when the next one will be, especially in the Bay Area. So please check it out. And we'll see you guys all here again next week. Rock on, everybody. And uh, do your, what, five hours? Go do this two or five hours. Five and hours a month. Yeah, we should register that URL, fivehours.org. Let's go. All right. <laughs> okay. On, folks. Love you guys. Everybody. Take care. Thank you, people. Because he's muting himself, I can now tell you without interruption from his humility that we want to thank Rob Blatt for protecting the show. And being our engineer, robblatt.com, two T's, check him out. We'll see you here again next week on Tumblr.